Today's story is an inspiring one. My friend Ruby Frank, mom of six and a vlogger at the YouTube channel Eight Passengers, shares her story with me of how she and her husband as newlyweds found themselves buried in debt and barely able to pay for milk at the grocery store without putting it on a credit card or a line of credit. She tells me about how they sold their home and went back to apartment living and stayed committed to living within their means instead of keeping up with the Joneses, and how they still continue to live this lifestyle as they've paid off their home and resolved to stay debt-free. Ruby shares some wise counsel with me about not comparing or being compelled to do what everyone around you is doing, but to have the courage to get honest and be true to what you know in your heart is best for you. All right, today, you guys, I have a really fun friend with me who I met this summer and I absolutely adore. Her name is Ruby Frank, and she is the mom behind the YouTube channel called Eight Passengers, which is a huge sensation on YouTube. And she's just delightful. And I'm so thrilled to have her on here to talk about just some really um, inspiring personal stories. So, Ruby, say hi. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Oh my gosh, thank you for being here. And then just tell everybody a little bit about who you guys are and what you do. Sure. So I have been um, on YouTube for, it'll be five years in January. We started, my husband is a professor at BYU. And so we're kind of unique in that we have a bigger platform on YouTube, but my husband has kept his day job and Mm -hmm. I have kept the videos going. And it just started with us with me really filming folding socks (laughs) and like doing laundry. And there was one morning in the kitchen where I was filming pouring cereal for my kids and um, our baby had spilled milk all over the table and I had gone to turn off the video and just had this thought like, oh, well, maybe there are some moms whose kids also spilled milk on the table this morning. So I'll just go with it. (laughs) And and I was really, my intention was to just try to find the beautiful moments in my life and record them for the kids. I had no intention of anyone ever actually watching until that moment when the milk was spilled. And I thought, oh, there might be someone else who sees this. Yeah, maybe it'll help someone not feel alone. Right, right. That, you know, their kids make messes and everyone else does too, you know? Yeah, I love it. So, and now you guys, all all of your kids kind of do it with you. You guys have six kids, right? Yes. And it's still me who is in the kind of the narrating position. So it's the story of all of our kids and, and there's an age range of every age range. And so I think that's probably been the secret sauce that's helped us to um, grow is there's something for everybody. If you want like baby, toddler, teenager, mom, adult, we've got one of each. And so, (laughs) and so that's, um, yeah. Keeps things interesting and relatable. Yeah. That's really cool. So just offline for a second, we were talking about how you guys didn't start out doing YouTube. So um, how long have you been married? And then let's just get into that story of when you guys first got married and what life looked like there. Mm -hmm. We have been, well, January will be five years and we've been married also this December for 19 years. Awesome. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thanks. 
So 19 years ago, you guys got married and you were telling me that you kind of felt like, well, I don't know if it was right when you got married, but when you graduated, you said that that's kind of when you felt like, okay, now what? Yeah. So we, so I have always just gone like from one expectation to a next and to a next. And it's always been a a really great fit. So, you know, you go to elementary school and then you go to junior high and you go to high school. And then what are you supposed to do when you're done with high school? I was told you go to college. And then um, we got married and we had, we started having kids and Kevin was going to school in engineering and he got his master's degree up in Seattle at the University of Washington. And this is where we started having some problems is when he graduated, I just thought, oh, well, what's the next logical thing you do? You buy a house. Mm -hmm. We have been, you know, poor college students for eight years. And, you know, we deserve a house. We're entitled to a house. And so that was kind of my mindset. And that's just what people do. So we bought a house. And what we didn't realize was all the expenses that come with having a house. And we also needed to get a bigger vehicle. And, you know, of course, when you have kids, there's medical bills. And I was in charge of the budget and Kevin was in charge of making money. And that was an agreement we both came up with and we were both happy with. And we Mm -hmm. thought okay, we're, this is just how you're supposed to do it. So there's this theme of like, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. And it just didn't end up working. So. Well, and even going back to what you said about you buy a house and it's like, you think it's going to stop there, but it really doesn't. Mm -mm. In fact, I, I will never forget how shocked I was. The home that we most recently purchased, didn't have any window coverings, which was so weird. And that sticker price of buying window coverings for this house was just, uh, I was blown away by how expensive it is just to cover up your windows, which is a pretty basic need to have privacy on your windows. So, right. But it's like if with a house, it's a little bit like if you give a mouse a cookie, right? Like, oh, well, now you need this. Well, now you need that. And a lot of times they're basic needs, not like luxuries. Oh, right. Oh, if I only could have shown some really fancy furniture for all of the spending we had, or if I only had some really cute outfits I could have shown for the money spent, but I didn't. I mean, we were buying lawnmowers and edgers. And um, so, yeah, it just blew my mind at how expensive life was. But I was super positive and I, every paycheck, I thought, oh, it's going to, it's fine. It's fine. It'll, it'll work out. I'm, I'm positive. (laughs) Positive thinking will get me out of this. And then it, it didn't. And so what I ended up doing was putting grocery money on the credit card and I would worry every time I would go to buy milk, you know, and then I would use the paycheck to cover the, the credit card bill. And then when that started not working because we had other bills come in, then I started using the line of credit and it was this musical chairs and the ring around the rosies, this circle that I was in this cycle. And I remember when it all came to a halt, I remember sitting down to look at the budget and I thought, I literally don't have (laughs) any more. I have too many chairs here. I, I can't make this work anymore. And I was super stressed out. And I remember picking up the phone and calling Kevin. I was so scared because I didn't know what he was going to say because he's oblivious 
to this because I was not being completely open and honest because I kept thinking, oh, I've got this. Right. And, but I didn't, I was just magically thinking having a smile on my face would fix it. Oh. <laughs> and it didn't. And so um, I called him, he was on his way out of town. He was getting ready to hop on a plane for a business trip. And I said, I said, Kevin, I, I'm really, really nervous to tell you something and I want you to hear me. And I, I really hope that you don't get upset with me, but, um, I trying to do the budget and we don't have enough money to cover the credit card. And I've been using our line of credit and I don't have enough money to cover our line of credit. That's also due. And I tried adding it up the best I can. And I think we're about $10,000 in debt. And then I just like, I spit it out and then I stopped and I'm like, okay, what is it going to say? And it was just quiet for like maybe five seconds. And he said, he said, okay, thanks for telling me. Here's what I'm, I've got two things I need to tell you. One, I I'm about to board the plane. I have to go. And the second thing is, I don't want you to worry about this for one more second. When I get home, we'll sit down and we'll figure something out. And I was just like, oh, he, what a like loving thing to say to me. I didn't, Yeah, he was just so sweet. And I thought his response was just so loving. And um, when he came home and, and I literally didn't worry about it after that, I, I slept fine. And I just kept saying, Kevin's going to help me <laughs> yeah. when he gets home. We're going to figure this out. And so we had a really almost like come to Jesus moment with our finances when he came home and we really stopped looking at what everybody else does. And mm-hmm. we just started making responsible choices for us and what was unique for us and what we needed. And we came up with the decision that we needed to sell our house, which was so painful to do. This was in 2007. This was April of 2007. We put our house up on the market and it sold a week later. And we got like, we got $10,000 profit off the house. So we'd only owned the house for just less than a year. And I just floors me that you can get into that much debt in less than one year. So we were able to pay off our credit cards with the sale of the house. And now we're like, okay, what do we do? What do we do now? Wait, but let's just pause and talk about how much of a blessing that is that you were able to sell your house in 2007 because anyone who is not like a teenager or a kid knows exactly what's coming the next year. So that's, that's remarkable because can you imagine if you hadn't done that, if you hadn't gotten honest with Kevin, if you hadn't kind of faced the music, how much more trouble you could have been in a year from then? It, yeah, the story, it gets even more interesting. This experience for us is really what put into motion everything else that's fallen into place in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and it was all because we were trying to follow the spirit when it didn't make sense. It, it does not make sense. Yeah. Everything we did for the next four or five years did not make sense to us. And we even had some family members even say, this doesn't really make sense. Like we help me understand what you're doing here. And we yeah. would, we would have no logical explanation. So we did sell the house. It was the height of the housing market was yeah. in, in Idaho. We were in Idaho at the time. 
And we moved to Roy, which is where my parents live. And we started renting a house. And the fact that I was looking to buy another house tells me I wasn't, I hadn't completely learned my lesson yet because I'm looking back thinking, wait a minute, I had no money to buy a house. Why was I looking? So I was looking. But it was so easy to buy a house at that time. Oh yeah. Anyone would have given us a loan. It was, you know, free money for everybody with, you know, credit. And everything was super expensive. And I was really scared to get myself into a house poor situation that we had been in. And so um, Kevin had come home one day and he said, you know, we're renting this house. If we're going to live like students again, we might as well be students. And Mm. so he moved us to Springville, Utah into apartment living again. I had three kids. I had three kids by this time. And so to go from owning a house and a yard to going back to apartment living and back to college was the most humbling thing. (laughs) I I just, it was so difficult and, and the economy was really great. So people are like, I don't understand why you're going back to apartment living with all these kids but we just felt really good about it. And so Kevin started working on his PhD at Brigham Young University. And we just settled into a really slow, very small lifestyle. And mm-hmm. um, I was just really grateful that I could buy milk without worrying about <laughs> using my overdraft to buy milk. I was so grateful to buy groceries. Um, that's actually where my love of cooking started. Because I thought, well, if I'm going to buy milk and eggs and flour, I might as well just really enjoy putting these things together in every possible way. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So we just, I really got into, that's when I picked up blogging and taking photos and writing about food and really started being interested because it was a fun hobby that didn't cost any money and um, fed the kids at the same time. So yeah. I didn't know that you were a food blogger before. That's fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was it was so small. I mean, nobody watched it, but we did. For unfortunately, they're all sold out. But we we made a cookbook, the Griffiths Cookbook, and so we've done three publishings of those, and they've been really, really great at GriffithsCookbook.com. What do you feel like your biggest lessons were um, during that period of time before the, so, you know, before probably the economy crashed and everything Mm -hmm. became really clear as you were doing that, what do you feel like you learned the most? The lesson came six months after we moved to Provo because then it was 2008 Mm -hmm. and what we found out was the office where Kevin had been working in, in Idaho had closed and everybody oh. got laid off. Wow. And so he would, had we stayed in that house, we would have still not been able to afford it and he would have lost his job. And so nice. we made our exit before everyone started making their mass exit. Everyone that Kevin knew in that field was trying to get to Salt Lake because they still had an office open 
And Mm. he had made the trek six months before. And so the biggest lesson for me at that time was don't look at what everybody else is doing and stop comparing yourself to everybody else. Just make decisions based on what you feel is the responsible choice for you. That mindset, that new mindset is what I think has helped us to be able to grow our our online business. Because I mean, as you know, you get so many people, you're, you're in the business of comparing. I mean, Instagram and YouTube, it's, if you allow it to be, you can be comparing yourself nonstop. Yeah, that's so true. How did you decide to move forward? So besides just deciding to be deliberate, we, um, Kevin finished up his doctorate program at BYU with the intention of staying with his firm when he mm-hmm. was done, uh, what ended up happening was an opening for a professor job opened up at BYU the exact month that he graduated. And so he was encouraged to apply and he did, and he was offered the job and he's been working at BYU as a professor ever since. And that's allowed us some flexibility because it's just a really flexible job where he can set up his own hours and it's allowed him to help me with my production business. Now, when we graduated, we thought, okay, we're finally ready to buy a house because we graduated in 2000. I say we, but Kevin graduated in 2011 from his PhD program. From his PhD program. It was November of 2011, which was the month that the housing market was at its lowest. Mm. And so we bought a we went when we went shopping for a house. We thought, okay, we're going to buy the very smallest house that we can comfortably fit all of our kids in. Mm-hmm. And we didn't realize we'd be having six at the time we had five. I had just had our fifth kid. And so we bought the very smallest house we thought that we could be comfortable in. And it was on the market for so long that nobody wanted this house. And it was ugly. It was, it needed so much fixing up. Um, But we thought the price point was awesome and the space would be great. And we would have a lot of potential there. So we, we bought the house and we ended up having one more here, but we've just been super creative in using the space and making it work. And and we've been able to, since then, become completely debt-free. We've been able to pay off you know, our vehicles and our car. And it's just been, the mindset is every, I still go to the grocery store. And when I buy milk, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful to have milk and not have to stress about it. I think I have some PTSD from right. going grocery shopping. I still get a little shaky. And I, I even, I, as silly as this sounds, sometimes I get a little teary because I'm just so grateful I get my groceries and not worry about it anymore. No, but that took a lot of courage for you guys to make these changes and to scale back. And I think it's, it is really hard once people get used to living a certain lifestyle to take a look at their situation and say, does this make sense? And is this right? And most importantly, I love what you said about you followed the spirit and the spirit was telling you, this isn't right for your family. This isn't what you guys need to do. And how many blessings you got from following that. And, you know, 
people can call it whatever they want, your intuition or this the voice. Some people call it that. Um, we call it the spirit. But really, I think that it takes so much courage to do things that, like you said, are maybe don't make sense to everyone else looking at you. And so how do you guys now navigate life as far as that goes with things looking the way that you feel like the world would dictate or what looks good to everyone else or what makes sense to everyone else? Mm -hmm. We always ask the question, does this, does this serve me? Is this something that is going to, um, increase optional pain? We had, we had thought about at one point getting some, you know, going on vacation or, or getting like recreational vehicles or, and, and so we always ask the question, is this really serving our family? And is this really going to connect us together? Or is this going to end up bringing us optional pain? I want to minimize the pain that I invite because I think the world gives us enough pain to deal with that we don't have any choice in, right? Um, You know, whether we're affected by other people's choices or by, you know, just life happening. And so I'm, I'm always looking at how does this serve my family? And if it doesn't serve, if the only answer is, well, it's just fun. I usually end up looking at it very, very closely and usually end up saying no to it if it doesn't serve in some deeper, more meaningful way. I love that. How do you teach your kids these principles now that you have teenagers and kids that are, you know, from a baby to a teenager and, you know, lots of different needs in the home and probably also lots of different wants? How do you, how do you guys manage this with your kids and as a mom? Mm, That's such a good question. And it's been interesting because each of our kids learned so differently from others. I have one child who big homes are really important to this child. And we do live in a really nice neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And our house is probably the smallest one in the neighborhood. And they're always looking at these big homes and then sometimes complaining about why can't we (laughs) live in a big home? How come we can't have a, you know, a movie theater in our basement? How come we can't have a pool in our backyard? And for this child, I think it's just really important to validate their wants. Like it is okay to want a big house. I think the fact that you want a pool is really fun. I would, I hope when you're an adult and you have a pool that you'll let me come over and swim in it and, (laughs) you know, let me watch your kids. And, and so I think letting people's wants are all different. And, and I think that is a really great thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with our wants. And so I, you know, and then I'll explain if you want a big house and if you want a pool, if this is something that's important to you, here are some things that you can be doing in your life right now that are going to help you have that opportunity. Mm. You're going to want to pay attention in in school and you're going to want to make sure that you are really able to work with people in a, in a great way, because, you know, that's all part of making a living is to be able to do that. And then I have another child who doesn't care about any of that kind of stuff. She's completely oblivious to, um, you know, the comparison. She's really in her own world. And (laughs) what she, what she's had to work on is being responsible and not forgetting things. And so there was one experience we had where we were going skiing as a family and she had left. I reminded everyone to make sure you have your ski pants with you, make sure you have your coat and make sure you have all of your gear. And yes, yes, everyone has it. Yes. Okay, great. Let's go. 
And when we got up to the ski resort, she had forgotten her ski clothes. And she, (laughs) I told her, I said, oh, shoot, honey, I'm so sorry. That that must feel really terrible to forget it. Mm -hmm. Here are your options. And I try to keep them as natural as possible. One, you can stay inside the lodge and, you know, get a hot chocolate and look out the window and just enjoy some quiet time all day. Or you can buy some new ski clothes. And when you're, of course, at the ski resort, they're super expensive. It's like a hundred, over a hundred dollars for a pair of ski pants. Yeah. And so I left it up to her and she chose to buy some new ski clothes and she, you know, didn't have her wallet with her, but I told her she could pay me back when we got home. Ever since then, she has been super, super on the ball about not forgetting things. And so I, every kid's just going to learn different, these principles Mm -hmm. and how to be responsible and deliberate in their living. Well, those are great lessons to teach your kids. And I think it's awesome that we try to do that too, give our kids natural consequences from choices that they make so that hopefully when the consequences are a little more heavy Mm -hmm. when they're older, they are making, they've learned these lessons like you're talking about from a little bit of a sting from having to work off $100 ski pants Mm -hmm. versus working off $100,000 of debt because you haven't been responsible all, you know, nobody ever forced you to be responsible before. So um, that's so smart and so wise of you guys to do that. So if you could go back and talk to your newlywed self, what do you wish you would have known? Like at when you were very first married. Mm, wow. Um, <laughs> well, I <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is I wish I would have known that skinny pants were going to stick around. It took me so long to get into the skinny pants. Okay. That's so funny. <laughs> me too. Besides that, I I wish I would have known that I don't I don't need to know the end from the beginning. I don't need mm. to know how it's going to end in order to really enjoy life, even during the trial. Like I, I I would think, well, if I knew, if I know it's going to end okay, if I know the end, then I can be content through the hard time. Yeah. And and now that way too. Don't. Yeah. Isn't it so, it's just kind of human for us to think that way. Yeah, I'm definitely a futuristic person. Like I, I'm always looking to, okay, even if I know something's going to be hard, if I only know I have to endure it for X amount of time, I can do it. I have a really hard time with the open-ended, like you're saying. So that's such great advice too. Because don't you look back at those just kind of scraping it together early times and you're like, gosh, life was so much more simple <laughs> then. Yeah, and and some of my happiest moments were when we were just scraping things together. Yes. Really was. I mean, even looking back when we had this home in Idaho and we, we were struggling to make ends meet, I still think back on where my children were and the ages of my kids. And it was such a fun time for, you know, my oldest were toddlers and coming into some funny, funny, funny years. I wish I would have enjoyed that a little bit more. Yeah. It goes by so quickly. But I mean, the toddler years are hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're we're like constantly in those toddler years, but um, but it does go by so quick. I, I don't know how we have a seven-year-old, but we do. <laughs> but when I think back, you know, when Neil and I were very first married, we bought, he bought our first home before we got married. And then when, obviously when we got married, I moved in with him and I still have great memories of us 
painting our the wood cabinets that I didn't like, painting those white ourselves and oh. putting the primer on. And then it was like a three week every night after work, we'd put on our paint clothes and <laughs> work till we couldn't keep our eyes open anymore. And putting the layers up because it was really dark, dark wood. So it's like a layer of primer and two or three coats of paint on all of these dark cabinets in our kitchen and doing that ourselves. And then making poor Neil do the tiling himself for the backsplash. I don't know if he'll ever forgive me for that, for the (laughs) tile cutting that I made him do. But, you know, I feel like when it came time for us to sell that house, we had the cutest kitchen on the street. There were three or four other homes that were up for sale in uh, 2013. And ours sold, while the others still sat on the market, ours sold within under 30 days because I felt like, you know, all that, blood, sweat, and tears into the kitchen that we did ourselves kind of made the house sell. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, you know, I think back so fondly on that time where we just like put in what my dad would call elbow grease. Like we just did it ourselves, you know, worked really, really hard to make that kitchen cute and make it our own. And those times really do just go by so fast. But, um, okay. I want to ask you too about, what do, what advice do you have for maybe like the newlywed girl that's listening to this or someone who is struggling? Like they are in that situation of they're trying to figure out what to put the milk on and they're, you know, maybe drowning in some debt or just mm-hmm. they don't know how to get themselves out of a situation that they feel like is going to be embarrassing if everyone can see that they're in trouble. What advice do you have for that person? Well, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> that's that that is such, that's really a tender time to be in. Let me think here. I think back on Kevin's response to me and he said he said I don't want you to worry about it anymore. And I I would say that worrying about it gives you this sense this false sense that you can control it. And mm. while in some ways I was able to make responsible choices around it and making the decision to sell my home was something that I could do that would contribute to the solution or to the problem. There are things, there are choices that you can make that are going to either contribute to the solution um, or there are choices that you can make that are going to make it a little more painful than it already is. But to think that you there's something you can do that would completely, totally control the situation is a myth. Mm-hmm. And, and so don't get too hard on yourself and don't get too frustrated that you can't just control the situation because that's just part of life is learning that, guess what? We're not in control. And I think the faster we can learn that lesson, the faster a lot of this optional pain is just going to melt off of our shoulders. And so, you know, I did what I could in my situation and a lot of it was painful. I mean, I made the decision after we had sold our home, I was not going to have a cell phone. Um, wow. I, yeah, did not have a cell phone. I have, I have pictures of me making phone calls from my wall and it, and I did that the entire time we were going to school for the second time when Kevin was working on his doctorate, because I knew that that was some a decision that I could make that would contribute toward our financial success, our eventual financial success. So that's a big deal in like <laughs> the in so you said you were he was in school from what 2008 to 11? 8 9 10 11. Yeah, 4 years. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, that's not a time when, I mean, that's well past the time when everyone oh, had a yeah. cell phone. So my, my little that's a huge sacrifice. cell phones and they were in school, you know, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So being willing to, I just love what you said about optional pain too. That's really sticking with me about, you know, what are you, what are you kind of bringing upon yourself versus what's really necessary? And that's, that's a huge testament to having the courage to look at things and say, okay, do I actually need this? Is this actually a need or is it something that I can go without? Mm-hmm. And I just love, too, that you guys also had the courage to say, okay, we're going to live in an apartment with kids (laughs) and be responsible, make some sacrifices, and be in a really good position later on. That just speaks volumes to me, to, you know, the type of people you guys are and and what's really important to you. And I also really want to highlight, too, Kevin's response to you when you said, I'm in trouble. I think there's a huge lesson to learn there for spouses, for uh, parents, just that if someone comes to you with really something that was hard for them to get off their chest, that freaking out is not the be- <laughs> not ever the best <laughs> situation. You know, yeah. I and a lot of people know that Neil and I are very open about his whole recovery journey with addiction. Mm-hmm. And um, that's oftentimes the advice that I try to give to women who are like, I call it like being hit by the bus. They just found out that their yes. spouse is entangled in an addiction or they just found out that there are a lot of things that they didn't know about. And I usually just say, don't freak out because you can figure out a lot of things. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to start over. Sometimes you have to sell the house and start over again. And there are Mm -hmm. big changes that you have to make, but freaking out doesn't typically ever help anything. So I love Kevin's response there too, that he, like you said, was loving and he just listened and then told you, we will figure this out. Yeah. And what he didn't do, I, I guess I was expecting one of two things and neither of them happened. Either one, I was expecting him to freak out and be like, well, what were you buying? Right. What have you spent the money on? I was expecting that. And I was also maybe expecting him to, to jump in and fix it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, well, here's what you're going to do. Do this and this and this and this. And he didn't do any of them. All he did was say, thank you for saying that to me. Thank you for telling me. We will figure this out. In the meantime, just stop worrying about it. It's going to be okay. So I I just love that all he did was hear me. That was it. There was nothing more to it than that. Yeah. And then you guys were willing to take action after and come up with a plan together. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty cool lesson. So what do you feel like you would like your kids to know when they first get married, when they are starting out in their adulthood journeys? And um, what do you what do you hope for them? Oh, I hope that they have experiences. No one ever says, I hope a lot of pain on my kids. So I don't want to say that. (laughs) But I don't think our marriage would be as strong as it is had we not been really put in the fire a few Mm -hmm. times and gotten burned. And, And it's like, okay, well, we're burned and we got burned together. So let's help each other heal. It was those experiences where we were, we grew together. And so I hope what I would tell them is, well, almost word for word, what you said, which is expect hard times to come. 
um, when hard times come, it's not a reflection that you're doing things wrong. Just because hard times come doesn't mean that you didn't do it right. There is no right and wrong, black and white living. There are 101 ways and more to do the right thing. And there's like 101 ways or more to do things that are going to cause a lot of pain. And, mm-hmm. and so working together through the hard times is where you really kind of come up with the flavor of your marriage, which is really really fun to come up with, you know, what kind of flavor of marriage do we have? And let's experiment with, you know, what we add to our marriage and how we talk with each other and how we interact with each other. And, um, and it just gets better and simmers as you get older. And as you have more of these tough experiences, it just gets yummier. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Can you say that about a marriage? Yes, Yes, you can. (laughs) Totally. And I, I mean, I love the visual of the flavor of your marriage, because it doesn't have to look the same for everyone. And I think that's a theme that you've shared with us here today, too, is not comparing, not looking around and saying, well, they do this or this is what it should look like. I think that's such a, at least for me, it was a kind of a young girl mistake that I made was looking at other people and thinking, that's what they have. That's what I want. That's what happiness should look like. Mm -hmm. And yet it just looks and feels so different for everyone. And I feel like Yeah, I feel like the most pivotal thing in our marriage as far as what has gone right is putting the most important things first, first of all, so that, you know, we talk about it all the time, the scripture study and praying and just the the basics of staying close with God and then just being willing to listen. Because like you were saying too in your story, a lot of the things that have led us to the happiest things, the most success, the very best things for our family have not made a lot of sense mm-hmm. in the beginning or maybe to the outside world or even to our closest family and friends. So it's just for us at least so important to not look around, compare, do things the way that it seems like everyone else is doing them to try to chase happiness, you know? Oh, yeah. And and when when you stop chasing happiness— and you just pull up a chair, happiness will come sit down next to you. You'll never chase down happiness. It only comes when you sit down and pull up a chair for it. Gosh, that's beautiful. I love that. Well, these stories have been so awesome today. I feel like you've given us so many good things to just mull over and this is my last question that I love to ask people and I'm excited to ask you because I feel like your answer is going to be awesome, but no pressure. No pressure. But if, if there's one message that the people listening to this interview remember, what do you want that one message to be? Oh, I, I would say that there is no piece of apparel or jewel. There is no home big enough or massive enough or elegant enough that you could possibly purchase or buy or wear or live in that would be an accurate representation of your worth. There is no mansion on earth that even compares in value to the value that you are. And I think that's why it's a very frustrating chase when we're looking to the next big house, the next big house. When we, when we paid off our house, Uh, We went to the bank, we sent in a wire, we paid off the balance and the lady at the bank said, so are you going to be opening up another loan for a bigger home? And we said, no. 
we're not. She says, but you're so young. You could, you could have another 30 year mortgage. And I said, no, we're going to stay in our home and we're going to love it. And she said that we were the first couple who had ever paid off a house who didn't go to get another mortgage. Wow. And, and so I would just say, if you can remember your worth, this chase, this desire inside of you is going to stop. And that hole that you're chasing to fill will be healed. If you can just remember how much you actually are worth. Wow. I love that so much. It couldn't have been said more beautifully. So just, I'm so grateful, Ruby, for all of the the stories and lessons that you've shared with us today. You have so much wisdom and so many good things that I just, my only wish here is that I could have given this interview to my like 20 year old self to listen to. <laughs> Same. <laughs> but right, you know, it's all hindsight. It's 2020. I'm sure we'll say the same thing too. We'll have all kinds of new things to say 20 or 30 years from now. Yes. Let's do this again in so, 20 years. <laughs> perfect. Let's do it. So um, if people just really loved you and were inspired by you today, where, where can they find you and follow along with you and your kids and your family's journey? We are on Instagram at eight passengers and the eight is a digit eight passengers and we're also on youtube awesome and it's just youtube.com slash eight passengers yes awesome okay ruby thanks so much again and um i hope i see you soon okay thanks corinne so much thanks so much for listening to mint arrow messages make sure you follow us on instagram at mint arrow subscribe to our apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.